First Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we thank you for Lee and another year of life. Lord, we just pray your blessing upon her. And uh, Father, that we would live a good and wholesome life, that we would look that good. So uh, bless our time together, Father. Bless your word and uh, just speak to us through it. We thank you, Lord, that you can guide us and direct us through the word. And we just lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Peter, in his epistle, is writing to a group of individuals that are struggling, that are suffering, that are about to go through incredible things. And so he's writing this as an encouragement, but he's letting them know that God is with them and that for a Christian to go through difficult, for a Christian to have a great, perfect life, and look like a Christian would really amount to nothing, as opposed to a Christian that goes through something and they can look to God to find what they need in that time that they need it. And so it's just an interesting dynamic as I'm studying the book. I've never taught out of 1 Peter, 2 Peter. I've taught maybe you know, parts of it where you, know, you pull something out, but to go through the epistle as a whole, you, you learn quite a bit. And so I'm, I'm having a really good time uh, going through it and just learning myself. He just got done speaking about the significance of the word and how important the word of God is. So let's back up a little. We'll go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and we'll start at verse 22. Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, notice, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then notice what he does. He elevates the word of God because all grass, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We'll stop there. Um, so in contrast to life on earth, that's really, 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 really short. He's contrasting that to the word of God, which endures forever. It would be Jesus, remember, who would say, quoting out of Deuteronomy to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so how important and significant the word of God is. So on the heels of that, let me give you an introduction to what we're going to read. It's a context summary. First Peter chapter 2, again, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12 describes the spiritual house God is building. Jesus is the perfect foundation stone God has chosen for the house. Those who trust in him are also living stones used to build the house. In addition, we individually serve as both the priests and the spiritual sacrifices, our lives offered to the builder. Thus, we must live good lives as strangers in the world preparing to go home to be with our Father, engaged in battle against our desire to sin. And so Peter's going to show us that oftentimes the battle is from within. The battle is, is with our own flesh and just our carnal nature and just all that goes on with that. So Satan is trying to exploit that. Satan is trying to um, get us to stumble. Because we've aligned ourselves with God, now we become the enemies of Satan because God is Satan's enemy. Satan is God's enemy. Um, so we're in good company. We're with God. 
And the Bible declares that one with God is a majority, right? Romans chapter, I don't know where it is. Romans 9, I think. All right, so at the end of chapter 1, he writes, Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So you, you notice we're going to continue on with this theme of the word, but the word should have an effect in our lives. We don't read the word as an academic endeavor or just to gain in knowledge. The word actually transforms us from the inside out as Christians. There's a guarantee of something that God is doing supernaturally from the inside out. And there's certain things we're going to see here that Peter's going to point out that really, really helps us understand what it is God is doing. So, man, we are blessed. We are blessed to live in this time and age where we have the Bible in our hands. Did you know that there were times where people didn't have the Bible? Did you know that the black, what are they called? The dark ages were called the dark ages because the light of the word was taken away from the people. They, they, they burned the Bibles. People didn't have access to the Bible. And to, to top it off, services were done in Latin. No one spoke Latin. No one understood Latin. So you're hearing really gobbledygook. And how are you growing in your faith? What a struggle that must have been for them, right? To not have access to the word. And your dependence was upon whatever they were teaching at any given moment. You hope that they were giving you truth. But we have access to the word of God. And we have access to such rich teaching, in, in, especially in Southern California, right? Turn on the radio, man, study after study. You hook up with some CDs, study after study, right? So we're pretty blessed to be able to have that. So let's take a look at it. First Peter chapter 2, and let's read a few verses. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desiring the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they, were, they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so Peter here then is going to tell us what the impact or the influence of the word in our lives is going to have. And so in verse one, he starts giving us a list. Therefore, because 
The word is going to endure forever because we are like grass. Um, we're going to wither away our flesh uh, and the word's going to live forever. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice, verse one, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And so malice is the Greek word for evil used 11 times in the New Testament to indicate that wickedness which comes from within a person. It's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, Ephesians 4, 31, Titus 3, 3. Malice is a wicked ill will hoping for another person to be harmed. Malice is an incredible thing. When you're mad at a person, angry at a person, frustrated with a person, you want to see a person harm upon them, that's malice. When you've reached the bottom rung, malice will say, I don't care what happens to me as long as you're hurt. That's malice. So he's saying put that all malice aside. That's not to be named amongst us as Christians. Have you ever cut somebody off? I was thinking about this today. I was talking to a coworker, and I was thinking, man, I remember cutting someone off. And um, I remember the Lord changing my heart towards that person and totally changing the whole thing that brought me around to like, whoa, I thought I cut that person off. Why, why am I now not cutting them off? You know, God changed me. If you reach that place, at least be open to God because he doesn't want us to reach that place. You know, sometimes we do have to cut people off, right? Sometimes we do have to, to put people out of our lives. Either they're causing us to sin, they're stumbling us, and we're just too weak for it in a moment. And so that, that's, that's different. Malice is wishing harm on somebody. Malice is wishing evil on somebody. Malice is hoping somebody will go down. That should not be named. It, notice he says, not just put away malice. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice. Then his next one is all deceit. Deceit is intentional dishonesty. And so it's one thing. We live in a, man, a, a culture that just lying is just normal, isn't it? Like not telling the truth or, or, or not being a truth teller. But this word is different. Deceit is an intentional dishonesty. You know that you're withholding information or steer, giving only enough information to steer somebody in a different direction. He, he mentions all malice and all dishonesty. So we shouldn't be dishonest. And it's pride, really, that, that causes us oftentimes to do things like that because we want to look a certain way. It's more important how we look before God. God knows our hearts, doesn't he? He knows the reality of what's deep inside. In Psalm 51, the Bible says that God desires truth from the innermost part of our being. And I think when we start there, it is what it is. People can think what they think. God knows the truth. And so be careful with that dishonesty. The next word he uses is hypocrisy. He doesn't say all, but he says hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an interesting word. We know it's what? It's a mask wear, right? A, a two-face. In, uh, in the old plays, they would oftentimes uh, cast not enough people to be, play all the parts. And so they were called hypocrites. They were play actors. And they would have two faces. So they would lift you know, a, a face up and they'd play that part. But they didn't have enough actors, so they'd have to turn their little mask around. They'd have another face, two faces, on the other side of the mask. So then they'd play that part. So hypocrites were play actors that would play multiple parts. We should be the real deal. Authenticity is what we should be about. And that's a beautiful thing to see. When you see somebody who's authentic, 
when they can accept their weaknesses and they, they can praise God for their strengths, the good things that they do would glorify God, not, not about drawing attention to themselves and trying to elevate their own things, but really glorifying God. Hey, man, if there's anything good you see, praise God. Glory to God. He's the one that's gifted us, and he's the one that we're trying to glorify with our actions. The next thing he says, uh, something on hypocrisy, it says, is uh, also falseness, holding others to a standard we don't live up to for the sake of pride. And so hypocrisy in that sense is, again, it's a falsehood, but the two-facedness is trying to get something from somebody else or have them and be impressed or have their opinion matter more than what? More than God's? No, God's the most important one that we should look to, if you will, impress. So be careful with hypocrisy, wearing a mask. The next thing he says is envy. Envy has been called resentful discontent, focusing our angst on someone who has what we crave. So envy is not good for the Christian. Why why would we envy anybody? Give me a reason why we would envy anybody. Money? Money? Okay. How do we know how they got that money? How do we know how hard they worked? How do we know that they didn't get that through an inheritance of a loved one, that they would rather have that loved one than the money? Because what? Money... It's here today and gone tomorrow. There's not, a, there's not a, an amount of money that you would want to be able to bring a loved one back, right? I mean, really, somebody who you really deeply care for, right? So we got to be careful with envy. Any, any other reason why you guys think we, why we envy? Yeah, a lot of times uh, single people will envy somebody who's married. Married people might envy somebody who's single. Yeah. <laughs> Again, just be faithful. You know, I, I like that idea of blossoming where you're planted. Pay attention to your garden, Song of Solomon says. You know, don't go looking over the fence at your neighbor's garden. Hey, well, I got carrots over there. I ain't got carrots. Oh, gosh. You know, no, no. Take care of your broccoli. <laughs> Take a look at your garden. You know, God's with you. God knows your circumstances. He's bringing you through. Say it again. Mind your own broccoli. Mind your own broccoli. So be careful with envy. Envy, it really gets foolish because we don't know. Um, I've heard of people envying somebody else's ministry. You know what that individual's gone through to be able to have a ministry that God has raised that person up to be able to have something like that. Oftentimes, ministry is born out of pain. Ministry is oftentimes born out of, born out of a lot of grief that somebody had to go through. And it's like, wow, Lord, I have a special place in my heart for these people. Why? Because I've gone through that. Nobody was there for me. Or I can see, Lord, how this can be effective. And that's how God uses right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We comfort others with which the comfort we've received, right? So God comforts us in our misery and our pain and our difficulties. And then we can go with that same comfort that he gave us and we can minister to people. So envying a ministry, that's foolish. Don't do that. I like to look at people who are like killing it for Jesus in the good way. And I'm like, yeah, they're on my team. Woo! Yeah, they're getting it done for Jesus. We are winning. I take credit. Yeah, we're winning. Because it's all what? Glory to God. It's about his kingdom, his name, right? The sheep of his fold. It's not our ministry. It's his. Anything else you guys think of that we can? um... So envy. We got to be careful with envy. Then he says evil speaking, which can be translated slander. It's using false or misleading words to harm another's reputation. 
And so we need to be careful of that. Again, that, that's all, look at all that list that he gives us there in verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. We shouldn't be talking bad about anybody. That's part of envy, and it's part of jealousy, and that stuff, we, there's, no, there's no place for it. There's no room for it. You know, people will get what's coming to them eventually, and so um, I like that scripture in Romans chapter 12, where it says, if it is at, at possible with you, be at peace with all men. And then it says, if you want to take vengeance, leave vengeance to God. Let him get it because vengeance belongs to God. So, so we got to be careful with those petty little things. Why? Because we're, we're, we, we are citizens of a different world. We're going to a different place. This place is not our home. We are pilgrims, Peter tells us, passing through. And I think the lifestyle that we live will demonstrate that or not. Are we pilgrims passing through? Are we treading lightly? Are we careful? Are we kids of the king and, and belong to a different kingdom? Well, it'll show in our conduct, Peter's letting us know. In verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted, verse 3, that the Lord is gracious. You can tell a healthy person by their appetite. You can tell a healthy baby by its appetite, right? If a baby's not eating, whoa, 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 what's wrong? They, they lost their appetite. Oh, flu? Virus? Something's got to be wrong, right? A baby naturally, instinctively wants to go to mom's milk, right? And so with us as Christians, is there a hunger for God's word? Well, you're at a Bible study, so probably, huh? I want to listen to the word. I want to grow by the word. I want God to teach me something. I want God to speak through his word. He's faithful to do that, right? It says that in Isaiah chapter 55. God's word will not return void, but he will accomplish what he purposes. Not that big. Desire the pure milk of the word. Spiritual growth is always marked by craving for and delight in God's word with the intensity with which a baby craves milk. And so a lot of times people will ask, you know, well, are they really a Christian? Do they have a hunger for things of God? Do they have a hunger for the word of God? That's a good way to tell. Why? Because that's supernatural. It comes from the inside out. God puts it there. That craving, that word, and that desire that he had mentioned, it's the same word in Psalm 42. I think it's verse 1, but Psalm 42. It says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for you. Oh God, as the deer pants. Imagine a deer out there in the wilderness sees a brook and just wants to lap up that water. Inside, we should be craving the word of God. Good teaching, sound doctrine, where somebody can break it down in a way that, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's good. And, and as I study the word, I don't default to much of this stuff. Some stuff, yeah, maybe, I, okay, I can do that, and I can do this. But as I'm studying it, most of it, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm, I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, okay, I better cut that out. Good thing your word told me, Lord. Whoo, thanks, all right, that teaching me how to live, teaching me how to treat people, teaching me to be patient, not, not short, you know, with people and all that stuff. Careful with my tongue. My tongue's the, the worst, the most wicked. So, oh, just, just shut up sometimes. Okay, I got it, Lord. Thank you. All right, you know? Other than that, I just be a 
blabbermouth and throw up on people and just, it'd be horrible. But the word teaches us so much. He goes on, verses 4 and 5, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That right there is a mouthful. I think we might not even get through it all. That that right there just, oh man, that's so good. So a holy priesthood. Old Testament priests and New Testament believer priests share a number of characteristics. So let me give you a few. I have scriptures for them all, so if you want to see them after the study, just let me know. So number one, priesthood is an elect privilege. Did you know that you are elect and you're privileged? God calls you a priest. You as a Christian are a priest and you get to do the function of a priest. Not just a pastor, not just somebody with a title. As a believer, every single one of us are part of the priesthood. You have everything that you need to be able to share the gospel. What do you have? If you got John 3.16, you're good to go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it's interesting that God calls us to be witnesses different than an ambassador. A witness just tells the truth, right? The word is martis in the Greek. What English word do you think we get from martis? Martyr. How about you die to self and just swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth to help you, God? Isn't that what a witness does? Put their hand on the Bible. I don't know what they do today, but back in the day, put their hand on the Bible, put your right hand up, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. A lot of us think that I think we have to be, either we have to know a lot of scriptures or we have to know so much about the word or, or well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know? Just testify. Just tell the truth. Um, you know what? The other day, man, I really made a big mistake and this is what I did. And then I, I, I went to God and he forgave. I'm, I'm just telling the truth. I'm swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So how I many got, what? Wait, you're all jacked up and God loves you? Yeah, it's crazy, huh? It's so crazy. I, like, I don't get it either. But he just, he loves me. And I'm just telling the truth. And I'm not perfect. But he sees me as righteous. What? How does he see you as righteous? Well, it's a trip because he sees me through his son. And his son took all of my guilt and shame and junk and he put it on himself on the cross. And then, and then he gave me his perfect righteousness and he put it on me. So when the father sees me, he sees me through the son and I'm righteous. It's crazy, huh? Because you know me, huh? I just cussed the other day. I mean, did you hear me? It's crazy, huh? right? And we're just swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's a witness. And we're dying to self. We think, well, Okay, I got to live. I got to live a perfect life. Hold on, hold on. I got eye cheese. Okay, all right, now. Okay, I'm perfect. And then, and then when they see me perfect, then they're going to want to be perfect like I'm perfect. Are you ever going to be perfect? They see through that. And that looks like religion. And it smells like flesh. And it has fingerprints all over it. And God's not going to share his glory with anybody. So we're pointing people to the one that loves us and has forgiven us and has saved us and has given us his righteousness. And we're swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so we're these priests. So number one, priesthood is an elect privilege. Number two, priests are cleansed of sins. Awesome scriptures. I have them all. 
but we will not read them for sake of time. Number three, priests are clothed for service. You have special clothing for service. Number four, priests are anointed for service. Without God taking the words that you share, they're just words that fall on the floor. They go as far as the ear. But when God takes what you share, and what has he chosen to use? The gospel. Jesus said, if I, like Moses in the wilderness, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Right? John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that he would draw all men unto himself. How do we lift up Jesus? The cross. For the message of the cross, Romans says, is foolishness to those who perish. Or is that Corinthians? Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to them who perish, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Okay? So that's the message that has to be shared, and that's what God anoints, that message. So we don't give them Oprah Winfreyisms. I don't know if you've ever heard that one. And we don't give them Dr. Feelgoodisms. Okay? Those have their place. Philosophy has its place. Psychology has its place. But if you want to see people changed, it's the gospel. If you want to see people who are dead made alive, it's the gospel. We can, we can make dead men look a little propped up and maybe put a little makeup on them and make them look a little better, but they're still dead. The thing that makes us alive is the gospel. Okay? That's the message that God anoints. Number five, priests are prepared for service. Number six, priests are ordained to obedience. That's an awesome set of scriptures. Number seven, priests are to honor the word of God. Number eight, priests are to walk with God. Number nine, priests are to impact sinners. And number 10, priests are messengers of God. So these are all of the different things that we are as priests. Everything about, true about a priest in the Old Testament, everything true in the New Testament about us. I have scriptures from the Old Testament that point all those things out and scriptures for the New Testament that points all of those things out as well. So the main privilege of a priest, however, is access to God. You have a special relationship with God. That's the greatest thing about being a priest. Okay? It's not your title. I'm a priest. No, you have access to God. You get to go into the presence of God. Remember in the Old Testament, one priest, once, one high priest, once a year was allowed to go into the presence of God? Man, the New Testament. How crazy is that? As a priest, you have access to God's presence. No greater privilege. You will look forward to heaven the more you spend time with God. Period. If you're not sure about heaven, if you're kind of iffy about heaven, besides the fact that our loved ones have gone on ahead and we want to be with them, that's a big reason, right? That's tiny. That's a grain of sand in comparison to, I get to be with Jesus. What? What? That's crazy. Yesterday, I, I did a route. I uh, work at Whittier Christian High School. And at one of our Christian schools, one of the kids dropped his paper and it went under the seats, under the seats, under the seats, under the seats. And it came to me. So I bend over, I'm driving, I pick it up, and I'm like, who's Justin so-and-so? And they're like, oh, he got off at the next stop. I go, all right, I'll put it right there. So as I put it there, the light turned red, and I was like, oh, let me read it. So I'm reading his paper. His paper was his homework. 
And it was, if you can spend one day with Jesus and ask him anything, you know, what would you do to spend one day? And he said, I have a million questions. And he was asking all these awesome questions. So I saw him today and I said, did you get your paper? I gave it to your classmate. He goes, yeah, yeah, I got it. I go, that was a good paper, man. I read it. He goes, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. But every, it was all these questions that he was asked God. So I was thinking, man, what would I ask God? Like, what if I was with Jesus, like right now, today, on earth? I mean, oh, okay, okay, oh, my gosh. I was just thinking all these questions, like all these questions. Isn't that be neat? Just that's going to be, that's our hope. As a priest, the greatest privilege that we have, we have access to God, access to God. And on this side of eternity, all of our questions are not going to be answered, right? And we're not going to understand everything, right? And if we did understand everything, then we would be all-knowing. And by definition, all-knowing is what? God. We're not God. So there's some things that we're just going to have to trust and walk by faith and just look to the Lord. Now, he says spiritual sacrifices are to be honored or given to God. I was uh, looking up different spiritual sacrifices that we can um, offer to God. God honoring works done because of Christ under the direction of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God. Seven things that we can offer as a spiritual sacrifice to God. Number one, offering the strength of one's body to God. Did you know that that's a spiritual sacrifice? Your body, the members of your body. And so we were talking about thinking. We were talking about how thoughts come into our minds. We were talking about overthinking sometimes, underthinking maybe at the other times. All of that, those are the members of our body that we offer to God, right? That's where the enemy wants to get us in a battle, in warfare, those thoughts, man, those stinking thoughts, right? And so the more word, the more clarity we can have. Doesn't mean it's not going to be a battle. Doesn't mean it's not going to be a struggle. Till we go home to be with God, it's going to be a struggle. Why? We're in fallen humanity. We're in flesh. Some of us to a greater degree than others. All of us have weaknesses. All of us have weaknesses. But the weakness of the mind, it's a great one. And I think if you look at society... Look at somebody living maybe in the 1930s, 40s, 50s. What what was their daily intake of information? Newspaper? TV came around and they had a couple shows to be able to look at. Most information came from the radio that was outside. Nothing that was, you know, their family, you know, talking to people or whatever, right? Today, information overload. We are inundated with stimulus. Just, we don't even realize it. But think about a, a farmer living back in, you know, 1942 or something, you know, well, that's World War II, so maybe not then. 1957, pick, pick a year. Simpler time, and it really was, right? So be careful with that. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I think it starts definitely with our minds because our minds play such a, a vital part in our walk. Next, we can offer uh, praising God, Hebrews 13, 5. Number three, doing good, Hebrews 13, 16. Number four, sharing one's resources, Hebrews 13, 16. Number five, bringing people to Christ, Romans 15, 16. Number six, sacrificing one's desire for the good of others, Ephesians 5, 2. And number seven, praying is a sacrifice that we can offer to God. So those are things that we can offer to God. Those are the things that we want to give to God. We're priests. We're giving offerings to God. Again, notice it says right there in verse 5, you also as living stones 
are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about this idea. You are a stone in the building that God is making. You're one stone in that building. You're not the whole building, but you're not insignificant either. Without you, the building is incomplete. Who's the chief cornerstone? It's Jesus. We read that. But we're part of what makes up the building. We belong to something that's pretty awesome. Verse 6, Therefore, because of all that, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of Psalm 118, the stumbling stone of Isaiah 8, the foundation stone of Isaiah 28, the supernatural stone of Daniel 2, and the rock that miraculously gave Israel water in the wilderness. So Jesus is the rock of the scriptures. Verse 7, Therefore to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Did you see that little phrase there? Therefore to you who believe, he is precious. This was Charles Spurgeon's first sermon at age 16. When Charles Spurgeon was 16 years old, he preached his first sermon in a village cottage to a handful of poor people, and he chose for his text, 1 Peter 2, 7, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. Spurgeon said that he didn't think he could have preached on any other Bible passage, but Christ was precious to my soul, and I was in the flush of my youthful love, and I could not be silent when a precious Jesus was the subject. Isn't that awesome? Is Christ precious to you? If he's not, you might not know him because he is precious. The Bible declares it. Christ is precious intrinsically. Christ is precious positively. Christ is precious comparatively. Christ is precious superlatively. And Christ is precious suitably to the need of the believer. He meets our needs. He meets us where we're at. He is what we need. So he's precious in every way. Verse Eight, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. And so that is uh, that scripture in Matthew 21, 44, where it says, and whoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And so we need to be careful that obviously we look to the rock as our foundation, not the one we stumble over. And I don't know how that happened. I mean, I don't know exactly the, the ins and outs. I guess by drifting and drifting and drifting and drifting, the nation of Israel, they, they didn't take God at his word. And so for, I, for us, I think it's important taking God at his word, coming back to that place. Uh, and I've always said this, we are one decision away from being on fire with the Lord. And that decision just starts from the inside, right? Lord, I just want to go after you. I want to seek you. I know there's things that I'm doing that, man, I shouldn't be doing those things. And I know that I can eliminate those things. And I know there's things that you want me to do, Lord, that I'm not. So I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to look to you 
for the strength that I need where I'm weak for sure, but in the things that I know I shouldn't be doing and I have power, the ability to stop those things. Because there will be things in your life that you don't have the power to obey. There will be things in your life that you can try as hard as you want and you'll stumble in those areas. Those are things that we look to God for. Those are things that we trust God to be able to work out when he wants to work those things out in us. But you know as well, there are things that we can do that we just, man, I just give in to that. I don't know why I give in to that. There I go again, right? So those are the things that we need to look out for. As I look at Jesus coming on the scenes in first century AD, and he has the religious leaders that are tripped up by him, they should have been blessed by him, right? How'd they get to that place? They didn't take him at his word. They didn't believe the word of God. They didn't believe that they weren't supposed to be idolatrous. They, weren't, they, they didn't believe that they weren't supposed to be play actors. Jesus called them hypocrites over and over in Matthew 23, right? Whitewashed tombs. You guys take a convert and he's twice the son of the devil than when you got a hold of him. Like, what, what happened? What went wrong? I think it's as simple as disobedience. And sin is deceitful. And <laughs> sin is blinding. Before you know it, you call what's right wrong. And you call what's wrong right. All you have to do is look at our culture, right? To see that. Like, they don't even know which way's up right now. That's right. So we got to be careful. All right. Let's wrap this up. Verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priest to the holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that verse, if you ever struggle with your identity, if you ever struggle with who you are, if you ever struggle with lies that the enemy feeds to you, then your Bible should have 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, highlighted, underlined, starred. It should be on your memory index card verses. You should have it on your windshield or at least in your rearview mirror. You should have it on your mirror in the bathroom. Look at all of what it said about you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 11 and 12, and we'll end. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. And so we are to remember that we're pilgrims. Abraham was known by tents and altars. Those are the two things that Abraham is known by. He's the father of the faith. Tents and altars, right? Tents speak of treading in this world lightly. This isn't our home. A tent is not a house. It's a temporary house. Right? And so think about it. He gives his nephew Lot as he brings him up to the mountain and he lets him look at all of the land and he's like, Lot, you go ahead and pick first. Oh, no problem. I want the green lush. I'm taking Sodom. I got Sodom and Gomorrah. Bad choice, Lot. Not a good idea. All right, I'll take the desert. 
And what did God do? He turned that desert into a land flowing with milk and honey. Why? Because he didn't care. His, his, his cleats weren't rooted deep in the earth. Tents, temporary. Altars, every time God did something again in his life, he stopped and thanked God. God, I just want to thank you, man. You brought me this far. You call me father of a nation. Whoa, you're going to change my name? Father of multitudes? Father of many nations? Oh, man, you're so awesome, God. Tents and altars. So may we be careful to tread lightly and to give thanks. Stop and give thanks. Give thanks for what we have. Give thanks for the little... Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are all these things. And Lord, sometimes we don't feel it, but you declare it. And so, Lord, we're going to stand on the word. The fact that, Lord, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, the people of God. Lord, we were outside of the faith, without hope. And Lord, you came down and you gave us this awesome plan. And so, for those who have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, all we can do is say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the word. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing something from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a hunger for your word that endures forever. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to strengthen us where we're weak. May we as well uh, take heed where we're strong. Oftentimes we let our guards down in those areas, Lord. We don't want to let our guards down. So pray, Father, that you would continue to grow us up and that we can proclaim the single message that delivers and sets free. Jesus, lift it up. So thank you for what you're doing, Lord, and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.